Hi, and welcome to another episode of Stardust MQ. I'm Cameron Furlong. My guest today is not from Macquarie University, nor is she from New South Wales. Her name is Dr. Tanya Hill. I'm Dr. Tanya Hill. And she's a senior curator of astronomy at Museums Victoria and the astronomer at Melbourne Planetarium. And in 1999, she actually helped set up the Melbourne Planetarium. And before that, she was an extragalactic astronomer hunting for black holes in the universe. I had the opportunity to speak to Tanya about her work in the planetarium as well as her work as a research astronomer. Okay, and so what got you into astronomy in the first place? I like to ask that question at the top just to get my um, guests warmed up. Right, so it's kind of an interesting story that actually got me into astronomy because it turns out when I was really young, I was actually scared of the dark. So, which you wouldn't expect then a person to grow up and become someone that loves looking at the stars. But uh, I was very lucky in that my dad knew a couple of the constellations. So he knew the Southern Cross and Scorpius and Orion. And so, um, yeah, he encouraged me to face my fears and go outside and then look up and he showed me the stars. And pretty much that just meant then... I always, every time I went outside, I, I looked up and I kind of, you know, when you're, you're young and your parents tell you to do something and you think then everybody does it. And so it was, uh, yeah, quite a shock then by the, as I got older to realise that not everybody knew about the stars and where you would find them in the night sky as I did. Okay. And so you did, uh, before you joined uh, Museums of Victoria, you did uh, a lot of research. So, so you did a lot of extragalactic astronomy and some massive black holes. So tell me about that. What was your research like? Yeah. So um, well, a few things happened along the way. Uh, I suppose another, I actually, through high school, Halley's Comet was in the sky when I was in high school, which a lot of my colleagues that are around the same age as me, they always talk about that being a big event. Uh, and again, for <laughs> me, it wasn't Halley's Comet because Halley's Comet was fantastic apparently in 1910, but in 1986 when I was a teenager looking at it, it was just this tiny fuzzy blob. But it turned out our school, my high school, had a telescope, quite an amazing telescope now that I know more about it, I'm hiding away in a cupboard gathering dust. And so it was a great opportunity for them to get this telescope out. And as soon as I, you know, I'd spend all this time knowing the stars in the sky and then I looked through the telescope and went, there's even more stars to see. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that got me more involved. And a friend and I, we actually started an astronomy group. Uh, she lived on a property with horse paddocks. Yeah. So we used to set the telescope out um, and, and use that, got me through my exams. Um, but then I actually had always planned on doing teaching. That was kind of something I was always keen and interested on. But during the third year of my Bachelor of Science degree, I applied for a job at the Anglo-Australian Observatory because I loved David Malin's photographs. So I suppose everyone today is used to the Hubble Space Telescope images. Well, David Malin kind of did it pre-Hubble. He was the first person to make beautiful, colourful scientific images of the objects in the in our universe and knowing that he worked there and there was an opportunity to work over the summer at the same place I was like yes please <laughs> and I managed to um, be connected with an amazing astronomer and uh, 
after doing that short project with her, she convinced me to do honours and then we went and I did a PhD under her as well. And so it's probably not a surprise I, I went to extragalactic astronomy. I wanted to look at those galaxies, look as far as we could possibly see. And the big question that I wanted to answer for my PhD, which was quite a while ago now, uh, but it was all about she, my supervisor had this sample of galaxies and they were trying to work out, they, they were galaxies that we call active galaxies. So there was more stuff going on inside them than just stars. There was more energy. And she was trying to work out whether that energy came from um, bursts of star formation, which we call star bursts, or whether it was due to having a black hole at the centre of the galaxy. And she'd gone through and, and, and had been able to distinguish lots of galaxies as either a starburst galaxy or a, a galaxy with a black hole. And she had about 20 galaxies that you just couldn't tell what was going on. And so she handed them over to me to study and look at for my PhD, which is pretty awesome. Uh and so uh, after, obviously, your, your research uh, doing massive black holes, that you, you went uh, with Musings Victoria and set up the planetarium at ScienceWorks. So tell me a little bit about that. So what prompted that change into, um, I suppose, science communication? Yeah, so, I mean, in some ways it kind of made perfect sense for me because it was going back to my roots of loving teaching. Uh, so yeah, so I did the I did the study, the PhD research, um, and managed to find five black holes, which I always say that's my claim to fame. <laughs> the school kids love that, especially when I say these five black holes, they're the ones that I found. Um, but yeah, so I suppose I got to, one of the things that I found. That's right. While I was while I was doing the research, I was also working at Sydney Observatory, taking people on night tours of the observatory using the telescopes there uh, to show people Saturn or the, or the moon uh, and giving people talks about astronomy. And I, I realised that that was still the thing that I loved doing uh, was the science communication. And so as I was finishing up the PhD, you start applying for jobs everywhere and I was very lucky that uh, it came up on the astronomy news email that they were looking for someone to uh, to come and work at Melbourne Planetarium, and I jumped for the opportunity and and managed to uh, to get the job, which I, I still even today I I pinch myself. I'm so lucky to work in such an amazing facility. So, what was it like um, setting up the planetarium there? Because that, so I assume that there was no real astronomy. Um, uh, I'll say department at ScienceWorks. Is that correct? Yeah, so we, we set it up at ScienceWorks. So the really nice thing was that um, Melbourne has quite a history of having a planetarium. The, the first planetarium in Melbourne uh, was built in 1965 in the middle of the city, uh, but it was in the same building as the library, the science museum and the planetarium. And pretty much what was happening in the 1990s was the library was taking over, uh, taking back the building. And so they were building a new museum and then they decided that the planetarium, a good home for that would be uh, with what was relatively new at that point, the ScienceWorks Museum. And so they built the new planetarium there. And so when I came on board, they had already uh, bought, they knew the equipment and the building itself was in place, but uh, it was just a square building with a dome. We had no seats. And in fact, the star projector 
arrived first and that was pretty cool to have this amazing star projector and actually no seats and we could all just you know uh lie back or, or dance around and, and and be able to check out this new um this new star projector and then the amazing thing was creating the movies for it and I think that's something that I found incredible that I kind of moved from being overnight being a research astronomer to making astronomy movies which was pretty bizarre so take me through the process of actually making a, a planetarium movie because I remember I think I remember the first time I went into a planetarium was at, was at Melbourne Planetarium. Uh, oh, so yeah, so I think I remember watching some of those movies. So tell me about the process that goes into making one of those. Yeah, so well in the early days it was really really interesting because we had three different pieces of equipment. We had the star projector in the middle which could only do um, dots and lines. It was a vector based program uh, but it could completely cover the dome and it was exciting because you could actually move the stars around they weren't fixed uh, like analog star projectors that was the key thing about having a digital star projector so we could take people a hundred thousand years into the past or into the future and see how all the constellations would change or you could go and visit a star uh, but you could only do stars with that piece of equipment so then we still had I think it was 50 something slide projectors that we had to get all working together and they could put colour but still images across the entire dome. And then we had video, but you could only do video in small segments. Uh, and that so that gave you colour and movement, but only in parts of the dome. So, for instance, if we wanted to do, we, we wanted to do a show on the seasons. And so we wanted the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. And what we had to do was have the sun appear in one video projector get to midday, switch over to the other video projector and then fade. Like you had to work out all these tricks to try and make it seem like you had this seamless movement. And, of course, nowadays, um, but I think that was a really good grounding because we did have to think about these things and we had to know the tricks and, and how, how you create because you don't. it's not a movie in that you have just a screen where you can move things off screen and bring things on screen because the entire screen is above you. So like doing close-ups you can't do or things like that. So it was a really good learning experience. And, of course, now with the planetarium, it's all just digital. So we have in our current system eight video projectors and uh, each one gets its own individual feed, which once it comes up onto the dome, it then is a little piece that all seamlessly joins together to create a 360-degree image. A lot more people who haven't been to a planetarium um, might know it now sort of through it's like virtual reality. We kind of say the planetarium is kind of a social VR mm. because you get to sit next to all your friends and you all experience that 360-degree um, movie above you. And so is it easier now to make a, a planetarium movie uh, than it was before or is, or is it have does this new technology have more challenges, like different challenges than A different set of challenges, yes. yes. So in some ways it's interesting because, of course, we get now compared so much more easily to uh, kind of animation and on-screen movies than what we used to. And, of course, I just look when I when I watch like a Pixar movie or something like that and you just see the list of credits and you know how many hours and how much money went into those shows. Um, and then I think of it's amazing what our little team of four people are, are able to uh, to do and put together uh, and the fact that, yeah, you, you, you have to create that whole world in the uh in in digital and put it put it up as is quite a challenge but uh but yeah it 
really it's about I'm very lucky to work with some amazingly talented designers who I think can now think in 360 because you've got to think that different way. Things have to move more slowly because if you move too fast in the dome, you can make everyone seasick. Um, all of that comes into it. But, you know, it still comes down to amazing stories that hopefully allow people to explore a bit more about the universe. Have you ever had any incidents where someone got very sick in the planetarium just from the motion? <laughs> um, look, we haven't, although I've recently, can you believe it, I've developed uh, inner ear condition, oh, no. um, which does cause vertigo. So I now have to be very careful oh, no. about going into the dome. I know, <laughs> you know. Um, it's the same condition that uh, Alan Shepard, who was oh, right. one of the Apollo astronauts that landed on the moon, mm -hmm. uh, he had it as well and he still went to the moon. So I figure I'll be okay. I just do have to be a bit careful now in the planetary. But we do normally um, tell people beforehand, and now I'm extra cautious, that especially if we're going to do some crazy spin, just close your eyes because, of course, you're not. It can feel like you're moving, but you're absolutely not. Um, what's been your favourite movie that you've made over the over the last couple of uh, time yeah, there? Look, it, it's hard. It's like picking favourite ch uh. children, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I was thinking about it. I, I, I suppose my top one, I still have to go back to one we made in 2007 called Black Holes Journey into the Unknown. And probably the title itself tells you why. Um, it, it, my fascination with black holes and, and it, it did draw on a lot of uh, kind of the work that I did during my PhD and a lot of the things I, I was talking to people about as I did that. So, I, you know, I love uh, getting people fascinated uh, about black holes and, and giving them the rundown about why we think these crazy things exist. And, of course, the other thing that was fun about that was that um, it was my first time writing the script. Before then I'd often collaborated with other writers, um, but that was one where I, I wrote the script. I had a, a fantastic script editor who helped me out as well, but I kind of was able to put my words onto paper. And then to tap it all off, uh, we managed to get Jeffrey Rush to do the narration for that. And I still remember the day going into the studio thinking, oh, my God, Jeffrey Rush is going to read my words. I can't <laughs> believe this. And meeting him, and it turns out he's a huge astronomy fan. Really? So he was, yeah, so he was he was great. He was, like, so excited about learning about black holes and then we, we started chatting about exoplanets and all other things, um, all other astronomy discoveries. So it was a fantastic, amazing experience. And we must have done okay because he then came back and, and recently did us, narrated a second show for oh, us wow. as well. Yeah. So, and it's just between him and the music and sitting in that dome, it's, it's still an amazing experience. So um, based on, you know, what your experiences with, with both research and science communication, we, do you have a preference for one? Do you, have you enjoyed one more than the other or do they – both have their merits in their own unique ways. Um, look, they're both they're both fantastic. I think for me, I love the getting out there, the science communication, the getting out there and explaining about it. But I'm so uh, thankful that I have that grounding in knowing what it means to um, to take that data and to analyze it and to be going through. And that the the thing about research astronomy, I suppose, you buzz is that moment when you've just got your data taken off the telescope and you're going through looking at it and you see something for the first time and you know that you're the first one to see this. Uh, and so that's that's pretty exciting uh, and then getting to share those results with other people. Uh, but I really, I, 
I think it's important. I mean, I think I'm very lucky in the field of astronomy that so many people uh, are happy to engage with astronomy and the fact that we have the beautiful night sky. Everyone can just go up and, and enjoy the night sky and the wonder and awe and curiosity that comes from that. So it's a great uh, kind of opening in, into science and how science is done. Um, so, yeah, but I, I do love getting out and talking and that's another thing so we've spoken a lot about some of the shows that we've made for the planetary but the other thing I love doing too is is when uh, I get to run a live session in the planetarium and take people through the night sky or the latest uh, findings that we've discovered in astronomy that's always really great Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Thanks to Oliver Doherty for editing this episode. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear and our outro theme is from Ketsa. I'll talk to you next time.